0: Hello, I'm Suzette Shamoon. I'm a psychologist and cognitive hypnotherapist, and this is my podcast, Hand Baggage Only. In this series, along with an array of guests, I'll be examining the emotional baggage that builds up and clutters our lives due to the complex nature of our life experiences and relationships with those around us. When is a friend truly no longer a friend? How do our friendships change when our life circumstances do? And why do those around us not always act in a way which we would want or expect them to? And why don't we? We'll explore these questions and more together so that we enter our friendships with hand baggage only and leave room for stronger, more authentic friendships to grow. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of my brand new podcast, Hand Baggage Only. And I've been wanting to make this show for a few years, ever since I trained as a therapist, because what I've noticed in my years of therapy is that so many of us struggle with the same issues. So many of us bring our own emotional baggage into our relationships. So I thought today's guest would be a great place to start. Dr. Deborah Egerton is an internationally respected bestselling author. She works in inclusion, diversity, equity, and she's an anti-racism consultant And spiritual teacher. Now I've known Deborah for about five years now, and I wanted to speak with her today to explore friendship across cultural division. I wanted to ask her why having people in our lives who don't reflect our own experiences is the only way we can grow as a society. Now, when I spoke to Deborah online, she was in the US, me in London, what struck me the most was the importance of having. People who are like us and people who are different in our lives. Friends who are like us and friends who are different. You see, those friends who are like us, they give us that sense of validation that we all need. But those friends who are different can challenge our beliefs. And it's through those challenges that we can grow. So here's that conversation for you to hear now. So I'm joined today by my beautiful friend, Deborah Egerton who is a fantastic champion when it comes to all things diversity and equality. We made friends because we have similar beliefs. We share very similar spiritual beliefs, but we also come from very different cultural backgrounds. We've had very different journeys in our lives. And so that thing about sameness and difference really plays into our friendship. And it's something which I absolutely love about our friendship because I think it's definitely enhanced who I am as a person, having someone like you in my life, who I can speak to and have those fresh perspectives when I need to know about things which are different to my life, but also when I need validation about some things which you share some ideas and beliefs and truths, which we share as our own truths, which aren't necessarily truths for other people. But Deborah, can you share with me how you think having friends who are of similar belief systems and value systems or cultures has enhanced your life?
1: Well, first of all, Suzette, I'm so delighted to be here with you today, because anytime I can sit down with you and have a conversation, it's amazing. It's interesting how we came together because it was that common ground and the cultural differences, because there was this sort of spiritual connection between us, the cultural differences became more of a source of joy, of really wanting to know more about each other. When you find people who you resonate with and that you connect at at a deeper level, a level that you don't even really understand, that's when the relationship really blossoms. So through my entire life, I have found people that I recognize, and they come from all over the world. But we have a similar set of values, of things that we hold holy, things that are sacred to us. And that sort of seed or light that is within all of us, when I have line of sight to it, and I believe it's a blessing to have that, but when I have that, The similar ground just sort of puts us in a place where we can begin to explore what more is there to this person. It has really made my life fascinating and joyful, and it has expanded my heart because I'm open to hear and to listen and to receive whatever comes from someone who can stand in that space with me.
0: There is that thing of when you find someone who is like you, it it does, it makes you feel whole. It makes you feel, I guess it's acceptance, isn't it? When you're so similar and you resonate with those shared value systems that you were talking about, it does, it makes you feel whole and it makes you feel like, actually I have a place in this world. I know for me, I grew up in a small community in the North of England And we all had a shared value system at our base. I'm from a Jewish background, but we were the, my family, me, my parents, and my siblings were one of the only Middle Eastern families, Jewish families in that community. And so there was this difference between me and the rest of my friends in this communal setting, but there was this base value system, which made me feel like I belong, even though our traditions were so different our ways of thinking were actually very different. My parents' journey was very different to my friends' parents' journeys. And it did. It made me feel like I belonged. And it made me feel, as you say, loved. You feel loved.
1: To add to that, when you think about what we're talking about when it comes to differences, the differences become rather superficial if the values are the same. So for instance, you know, um, you have a Jewish background, I have a Catholic background. You grew up in a small community in the north of England. I grew up in New York City. You are what we would consider to be a white-bodied person. I'm what would be considered a black-bodied person. Those are, are differences that sometimes people can't get past those differences. However, what we value, How we love, how we raised our children, how we feel about just uh, being kind and compassionate and open to anyone who needs help and taking that time to help them. Those things are underneath all of the things that people would think would make us different. And that's what we need to learn. We need to learn to look deeper. Don't let the external or the geographical or any of those things separate us when when we sit down to have a proper cup of tea, (laughs) which for me would be a cappuccino. (laughs) (laughs) You know how deep we go into conversation about things that really matter
0: there are people who will sit there and tell me, no, no, absolutely not. You need to surround yourself with people like you. It's very important because otherwise you are like liquefying your your cultural background, you're diluting it, or you're going to be intoxicated by other beliefs which go against your own. When we talk about people who are different to us, there's a lot of fears, right? I think A lot of the reasons why we we put people who are different, you know, black and white and, you know, all the differences. I think a lot of it is obviously fear-based. Why do you think that is? What's the negative impact of surrounding yourself with only people like you?
1: The negative impact is that there's no growth inside your own comfort zone. If you stay inside your own comfort zone, you don't grow. There's a huge world out there. And let's face it. Both of us want to see and experience as much as we can. But if you are only comfortable with people that are like you, think about how limiting that is. It limits you, it doesn't allow you to really explore and experience because you're so fearful of anything other than what you already know that you have blocked all of your access to learning something new, you know, to being in the the position where you can access the grace of diversity uh, and learn about different cultures, different people, just different ways of doing things that will actually enhance your own life. If you, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get a different outcome. So if you're only sharing your life and and your your time with people who are like you then that's going to be your whole life. And we cannot skip over the fact, Suzette, that for some people that works.
0: Okay, I'm smiling away here because you've you've put it in such a way that I've never thought of it like this. With all the conversations you and I have had, I've never thought of being with people who are like-minded, people who are like you is your comfort zone. I've never thought of it in those terms. Um, And it's true. It is comfortable being with people like yourself, right? And when we find friends who are like us, when you're being challenged, you go to them and you ask them, you know, am I right in the way I think? And they're going to tell you yes. Of course they're going to tell you yes, because they're the same as you, right? (laughs) Of course they are. And that's comfortable. It's a great place to be. We have the opportunity to grow when We allow in people who are from different backgrounds. I'm lucky in that my parents didn't choose to send me to a single faith school. And not that I have anything against single faith schools, I think. Single-faith and multi-faith schools both have their merits, but for me, I was very lucky that I went to a single-faith school when I was younger, then I moved to France and I went to an international school, and in that international school, I had the most fascinating experience where I think I was the only Jewish kid there at a time when Iraq had invaded Kuwait. There were about 100 Kuwaiti kids who had just arrived. They were in the south of France on vacation, and they couldn't go back home. And so they all came to school on that first day of school. And the headmaster actually pulled my parents aside and said, do me a favor. I don't want any trouble here. Maybe tell your daughter not to divulge her ethnicity, her religious beliefs, or anything like that, until we know that she's going to be safe and accepted. And that made me really, really nervous because all of a sudden I am going in. I've I come from a completely different value system to everyone else. And there are always going to be these, you know, these political ideologies in the background, which as a kid, I was 13, you know, shouldn't play into my life, but they might. It was an international school. You had the Italians over here. You had the Swedish people over there. You had, the, you know, there, there were all these groups. And the funniest thing was I gravitated towards these Kuwaiti kids and I made friends with them because actually there were so many similarities in our ways of being. And there were one or two friends in particular who I became very close to. I felt safe enough to ask them questions about their faith, about their culture. There were definitely distinct differences between us. Do you know what? They taught me things and they opened my eyes to ways of being that I would never have known if I hadn't had that. And at the age of 13, that's really impactful because children, if they live within the same bubble for their entire childhood, then it's hard for them to open up when they're adults. You you get fixed ideas.
1: No, that's very true. Doing all of the work that I do, even when I go into organizations, when I'm working with people who grew up where diversity was normal, it's not a steep climb for them to be able to connect and to be able to understand the concepts that I'm, I'm sharing, you know, and so you'll, you'll actually see that they're sitting there visibly nodding. That was their normal, but it's when people have grown up and I, I love the terminology on your side of the pond and not here but I'm I'm going to borrow it from you single face when people grow up in single face communities and then go on to single face schools particularly when they get up to the level of higher education of going to university this is when if you have not incorporated some diversity into your life it becomes so much more difficult to normalize it because you've spent so much time investing only in what you already know. And the reality is we don't know what we don't know about many things, but we really don't know what we don't know about people who may be different from us, and yet we share some common ground. So I always recommend to people, find the common ground and begin there. And your common ground may be your children. Your common ground may be your love of uh, Christmas or your love of Hanukkah. A department store that you love going to. You know, Just find that little piece of common ground that you can come together and stand on. And then you'll find that there's more of that than you could ever possibly have imagined. And then there's this entire wealth of information and experiences that now you have access to because finding the common ground allows you to develop a level of relationship. And this is what people don't understand. You know, you don't go up to a stranger and say, explain to me exactly why your people do what they do. (laughs) You know, you really need to, to develop a level of relationship. And you'll feel so blessed when the relationships that you develop are enhancing your own knowledge and ability
0: to be comfortable with differences. You see, for me, I'm always looking for ways of breaking things down so that I can make sense of it, so that you can then build it up and help other people, right? I'm a therapist, that's kind of what I do in my everyday life. And Mm -hmm. what you're describing for me is that to have good, healthy friendships, which are with people who are different to you, takes time, there is a journey. It's not going to happen straight away and you need to start building and you start with that common ground. I mean, even the people who are similar to you are the same as you and no one's going to be identical to you, right? The more you start on the common ground, the easier it will be to then move on to the less common ground and the shakier ground, and then the kind of Mm -hmm. danger zones. Bearing in mind that I'm in my late 40s and conversations that we're having today we weren't having 30 years ago, right? And I remember speaking to a gay friend 30 years ago and asking him a question and him taking huge offense to the question that I asked. And the reality was, was I was just interested. Nowadays, I would definitely have phrased the question differently. I don't remember the exact question. I had phrased it in a way which had definitely offended him in a way that didn't mean to cause offense. But at the same time, now that you're saying what you're saying, I didn't know him well enough to ask such a poignant question. I was asking intimate questions because I was fascinated. It was something that, you know, I didn't know much about. I didn't know about homosexuality. I hadn't been exposed to it before. And I, I didn't know that actually you build up to these kind of conversations. I just wasn't that aware. And I think that's a really important lesson, you know, particularly with our young, with our children, to make them aware that when you come up and you meet people who are different to you give it time. There's a certain amount of psychological safety that you need and emotional safety. What's uh,
1: interesting though, Suzette, is that children don't have the difficulty navigating this that we do. When children come up with each other, particularly up until the age of about seven, they are just so naturally inclined to just embrace one another fight over the same toy, roll around in the grass together, and go home and come back the next day and do it again. It is all of these messages that we receive, we call them micro messages, that we receive, and we start to receive them from the moment that we're born. And we can kind of throw them off as children because we have one goal, let's get to play. And I want to play with another person and you look like another person to me. And so it, it, it stays very, very pure and innocent. And if you put a bunch of kids who are very different from each other, sort of physically, and you can see the physical differences based on their color, their skin, the texture of their hair, their size, their shape, they'll just figure out how to play. But as we get older, and there's an expression that we use when you're raising your children, the things that you say are in one ear and out the other. That's not true. It's in one ear and really down on the hard drive. And so those messages stay in the back of mind. And as you grow, those messages grow with you. And so this is where the fear comes in. Because what you were taught, what you learned, what you heard, what you picked up from very well intentioned people, your parents told you who to play with and who not to play with based on wanting to keep you safe. The community wants to keep you within the same community to keep you safe and sometimes to not dilute the messages or the values of that community. But if that's what you're exposed to, then if you don't break out of that, uh, by the time you go to university, it is very difficult. You're so accustomed to sameness being your normal. And in order to increase the level of comfort within your own comfort zone, you may begin to demonize anyone who doesn't fit within that same comfort zone.
0: That's very true for a lot of people. I know when I'm working with someone in therapy, very often there are these beliefs. We pass on to our children our beliefs and our values, right? When they're young, they don't question them. They see them as true. And I think the more our children are protected, we'll use the word protected by their parents, and they stay within a certain range, those beliefs and values become truisms they become truths to them this is my own personal belief I don't think there's any such thing as truth I think I have my truths and you will have your truth and sometimes those will align sometimes they won't and that's because there's no such thing as a truth I think it's just you know your truth versus my truth but the thing is is when you believe that your truth is the truth that's Mm -hmm. when we start to have problems The longer you hold on to something which feels like it's true, the longer it's going to stay within you, it's going to fix, it's going to become less flexible. If children are allowed to go and explore different value systems and speak to people from different cultural backgrounds, then what they do is they start to, to question the values and the beliefs that they've been given. But the reality is, is that no matter what, our kids are never going to be identical to us anyway. I've learned with my own children. Mm-hmm. It's like a pick and mix. It's like, here are my values, here are my beliefs. And they're like, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. And that you can keep for yourself. And it's painful for a parent when your <laughs> child does that, because you're like, why? Oh, what was wrong with that one? I want you to keep that one. And, and my kids will be like, yeah, okay. But... I'm from a different generation to you. And actually I've met these people over there and they believe this. And actually that resonates more with me than what you're teaching me. I think still that that door is open at university for people to explore that. But I think after that, it does become harder. And with social media and with these echo chambers that that we find ourselves being pulled into that, the more you click on something, the more you're going to be hit with the same messages from different places the more fixed and inflexible we become, which is dangerous. It's very
1: dangerous because we cannot afford to continue to allow the way that we raise our children and the way that we navigate the world to be so small-minded. It's very small-minded to stay in just the embrace of one culture. And like I said, the the danger there is about beginning to demonize in order to justify particularly keeping your children in one culture uh, and not wanting them to have friends that don't look like them or don't have the same spiritual or religious background or come from a different country. If you're going to put your child in that kind of an incubator, you're really not preparing them to live in the global society that we live in today. In the U.S., some of the sort of wealthier schools. What I have discovered, and this started happening a decade ago, many of those schools would call on me to go in and to help them figure out how to bring in more diversity because they've recognized that if you're going to give your child the best education, possible, the best education ever, it's not just about what they learn in the books. It's also about their cultural experiences, their exposure and their capacity to be able to be in any room with anyone at any point in time, and for that to be their comfort zone. Have no fear of Being able to mingle, to have conversations, and to connect to people across differences. This is a skill that we actually need to be teaching our children, as opposed to putting them in a little bubble, protecting them from, from what, really, what are we protecting them from when we keep them in a same face, a single face environment? When we think about the reality, we, we know that we've already seen that there are people who we will never reach and you and I can go out and talk to them until we're blue in the face and it's not going to change who they are or how they show up in the world. But to give hope for the generations coming along now, really where this message needs to be heard and where it needs to land is with those who are raising their children now and deciding what are the messages that I want my children to retain. And are they loving messages, compassion, empathy, and kindness? Is this the message that I am embedding in all of these values that I'm trying to pass on to my children. When love is embedded within the message, the child can receive it in a much easier fashion. But when it's, I don't want you to be playing with, or I don't want, I came up to visit you at university and look at the people that you're hanging out with. I'm so disappointed in you. These are the messages that are really hurtful and they do harm to the children, the recipient of that message, and it's doing harm to the messenger, and it's also doing harm to the larger world because those are messages of anger, fear, hatred. They're not helping any of us.
0: And and I think you're absolutely right, but I would go one step further and say, you cannot teach this to your child until you're practicing it yourself though it doesn't work one way without the other you Mm -hmm. can't preach acceptance and love of others if you're not showing your children that this is what you're doing and so what I'm hearing from you and and my own personal experience of this uh, in in my own life and with friends and, and clients who I've worked with is until you deal with your own fears and work out why you're afraid and what it is you're afraid of why you would hold this group of people at arm's length as opposed to that group of people until you deal with that it's going to be hard for you to help your children to be more open and allow the world to come together in the way that you and i have this beautiful idealist vision for the world right and i think it starts with our friendships i think it starts with opening our arms opening our homes to people who are different to us, because I've got a friend who always tells me, when you've got a difference of opinion with someone, it's very easy to go and say, they're wrong, they're wrong. You know, they did this, they said this, and it's just wrong. And my friend will also look at me and she goes, Suze, it's perspective. They're not wrong. It's just, they have a different perspective to you and you need to get your head around it. And it's the same thing when people come from different systems, whether it's cultural, even gender or, or sexuality or whatever it is everyone has their own perspective. We don't need to to like each other's perspectives. That's something I've learned. But you do need to accept that everyone has the right to their own perspective as long as it's not going to hurt other people. If we we're talking about rules and boundaries within our friendships and how to have Safe friendships. There has to be that respect. You and I have had this conversation about tolerance. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I know. I can see you holding your head. I know it's a word which you absolutely detest, and so do I. I'll let you because you're much more eloquent when it comes to this.
1: I, I can't even listen to the word anymore. And, and I, I share that when I hear the word tolerance, I hear my mother's voice, and she's angry, and she's saying, Deborah I will not tolerate that behavior. Not one more second. I will not tolerate that. Just the word tolerate, which tolerance comes from. It means to put up with. Who in the heck wants to spend their life recognizing, oh, wow, this is amazing. People put up with me. (laughs) No, that's just wrong. In every society, There is this feeling, this belief that tolerance is a good thing. Tolerance is a baby step. It is just one step towards saying, okay, I can hold my breath, hold my nose and close my eyes, and I can tolerate being in this space with you, but I'm not going to accept you. I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm not going to affirm you. I'm not going to appreciate you. I'm not really going to include you. And I'm certainly not going to celebrate you. And that is so hurtful. Both of us have things about the dimensions of our diversity that have been tolerated. You know, to be Jewish is to be tolerated by many. Mm -hmm. To be a Black woman is to be tolerated by many people. And so we know what that feels like. And yet the message has been sent out that tolerance, live and let live, you do your thing, I'll do mine, is a good thing. This is no way to grow a loving culture and society and to create the true connection that we all, it's already there, we've just forgotten it, but the reality that we're all connected we know we can listen to the the data that we are 99.4% the same if you test our blood in terms of our DNA, but we're going to get all twisted up around differences that come from a place of where and how and who you were born to, whose body ushered you into the world and all of the things that you did not choose. I mean, I, I didn't get to stand online and say, um, I want that skin color. And I want oh, I want that sort of spiritual religious practice. And no, 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 I don't want to be born until about 2000 because I want to be really cute by the time 2022 comes along. Uh, wait, I want to be a really good tennis player. We didn't get to
0: choose any of that. It's very easy to say we need to love each other, okay? And it's in an ideal world, we will. But if we come from very differing political systems, very differing cultural backgrounds where your people did this to my people, and how do you navigate that? How do you navigate that? You can't just say, okay, now I'm going to open my arms to you and I'm going to love you because you're different to me. How do you help someone to navigate that?
1: Well, they have to be willing to do their own inner work. And people always say, what the heck is that? You know, I always hear, do the work, do the work. Well, what is the work? The work is really surfacing the things that are within you, the messages that you actually took in and they're embedded in your being and challenging them, challenging your assumptions. Looking at your beliefs and asking, why do I believe this? And what even supports this belief? I have one very simple thing that I teach people to do. And it is when you take an action or speak to another person, and particularly across differences, ask yourself this one question, is this kind? What I'm about to say, is it kind? What I'm about to ask, is it kind? What I just said to my daughter about playing with your daughter, is that kind? Am I being a human in this world who is simply kind? Let's work with kindness because that's the next step. Okay, so you can now tolerate being in the room with someone who may be different from you, but
0: can you be kind to them? What if being kind to them means you are being disloyal to your cultural family, the system that you, you come from? What if there is a challenge in that? How do you navigate that?
1: You have to decide who you want to be and how you want to show up in this world. You know, at the end of the day, I believe both of us had wonderful parents and we learned some wonderful lessons from our parents lessons that we carried forward and shared with our children. But I'm not my mother, I'm not my father. I'm not living in the same time period that they lived in. I'm not of the same generation. And so, you know, particularly being um, a black woman, I did not grow up in the deep, deep South in the United States. I grew up in New York City. So diversity was my normal. But the thing that I learned very early on was that when I navigate the world with kindness, I receive that back. And that's important to me. I mean, it's really deciding that you're going to stand in your own truth. But you have to find your own truth and not just sort of go through life with this invisible bag that your family, your community, all the people who loved you packed up for you and put all of these messages in there and you never even open it up and examine it. You just keep carrying that stuff through life and then you share it with your kids and then your kids share it with their kids. It really has so much to do with finding your truth, examining and challenging your assumptions Asking yourself, why do I feel the way I feel about people who are different from me? Why am I fearful of people who are different from me? Is this really who I am? Is this who I want to be? And this is really powerful, Suzette. So I'm going to say it because I want people to hear it. I cannot believe the number of people who come to me now for therapy, counseling, just to work with them because their children are angry with them because they never talk to them about differences, about racism or anti-Semitism or any of that. And so now those children who are going out into the world, going off to university are saying, so mom, dad, are you racist? This is a thing that I want people to recognize that children grow up, <laughs> they do develop some beliefs of their own. And when they do, they're going to hold you accountable. Deborah,
0: you've made the most amazing points. You know, I agree with you on all of this stuff. I think the way we raise our children, the way we show up in the world, once we've dealt with our own fears, our own questioned who we are, what we truly believe, what resonates, what doesn't resonate, helps us to move forward in the world and have that opportunity to have a more loving world around us. And the more we, we have those friendships with people who are like us and different to us so that we can learn from each other and be aware of each other's perspectives, I think it's going to hold us in better stead for the future and for the future of our children. Before we end, I do want to mention your book because it's all about this, the Enneagram, which is what you teach. What I love about the Enneagram is it's cross-cultural. It's got nothing to do with culture. It's about different personality types, how we show up in the world, how we operate in the world. I'm going to let you just share a couple of minutes about your book and why you wrote this book. The book
1: is called No Justice, but that's K-N-O-W no peace k n o w no know, know what those things mean it's really about recognizing that to be passive in this world is actually taking a position on the side of being not part of protecting and honoring and valuing all of humanity so if you can sit back and see horrible things happening around you, maybe you're just seeing it in in the media, you're saying to yourself, oh, that's awful, that's terrible, but there's nothing I can do about it. That's not true. Because if you do nothing, then that really does allow the voices of hatred and hostility to get louder and to become more successful. And I wrote the book because I want people to wake up and recognize that everyone can stand in their power and their truth and do something about hatred and racism and the the othering, the umbrella term that I use is othering, anyone who is treated as less than and marginalized. The Enneagram helps you to learn your truth to stand in your truth, to understand how your personality structure can show up. And I I demonstrate how it can show up if it's unhealthy, if it's passive and what you will look like as an ally or an advocate if you activate. We need to all be moving in the direction of goodness and love and purity and connection. If we're going to leave this planet for generations to come, we need to know how to leave it in a just and peaceful way. We need to be able to live that and to show that to all of our children. And like I said, the generations to come. So I hope people will read it. It's written with a lot of love and it is a message of love and how love can be a force for turning all of this hatred around. Love and hate, They don't hang out together real well. So embrace love, tell hate, not on my watch, not inside my doors, and definitely not passed on to my children.
0: And my dear, that is why you and I are friends. I absolutely adore you. I love your perspective on life. I love the fact that you bring different perspectives to me when I need it, when I need that someone who comes from a different background to me. I can come to you with questions. I am safe to ask you questions about your beliefs, even if they're different to mine, your values, even if they're different to mine. But I can also come to you to affirm me when there are things which I'm questioning in myself. And you will always come at me with love. You will always preach love when I have brought to you challenges that I'm going through with people who are different to me. I love the fact that you will always ground me in. That stay kind, stay loving, understand their perspective as well is not the same as yours. That is okay. Deborah. thank you so much for being my guest today. I love you too, Suzette. (laughs) I want to thank Deborah so much for generously giving me her time today. There's so much to reflect on from this episode. The importance of having people like us and who are different to us in our friendship circles. The importance of having psychological safety, emotional safety, but also not taking things too personally. Being able to ask your friends about whatever it is that they might have said which has pushed a button in you. Did they mean to push that button? Because really, intention is incredibly important when somebody says something which could potentially flare us up. If you want to know more about Deborah and her work, look up deboraheggerton.com. That's all for the first episode of Handbaggage Only. We'll be back next time to explore what happens to our friendships when our marriage comes to an end. See you next time. Handbaggage Only is presented by me, Suzette Shamoon, produced by Amanda Redman and brought to you by Odeer Communications. Please remember to rate and review the show and to leave a comment with any themes you would like us to explore. For more information, you can go to SuzetteShamun.com. See you next time.